to worship the Lord. So happy to see you. If you don't know me, my name is Connor. I'm one of the uh, pastors here and would love to meet you if we haven't met already. If you are new this morning, we especially just want to say welcome to you. We are really glad to have you with us and would love to meet you. After the service, you can come to the front and meet a pastor or elder up here. You go outside of the Welcome Center as well, and we'd love to be able to say hello and greet you. So happy to have you with us if you're new or newer. And for all of us, we remind ourselves at the beginning of each Sunday that we want to be at Grace, a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. That is what it's all about, and that's what we want to do this morning. So with that, if you're able, please stand with me, and we'll begin our service with our call to worship from Psalm 100. Psalm 100, and we'll read the entire thing, starting in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your faithfulness. Thank you that you are kind and gracious toward your people and that you have promised to never uh, go back on your words and commitments to us. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you would open our eyes to see the glory of your son Jesus this morning and that our hearts would be turned to worship him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Oh, 
the shame was drowning in sea, and I dread the winds of justice. I will cast my life on Calvary. I set my hope on Jesus. I set my hope on Jesus.
Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, and if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 4, I'm sorry, verse 1 uh, through to verse 6 together of chapter 4, and we'll remain standing out of honor for God and his perfect, inerrant, inspired, authoritative word. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. Amen. You may be seated. And let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, we praise you this morning. You are the one God and Father of all. You're over all, through all, in all, and you are the, the author of the story that is being worked out in this world, uh, and especially of what you're doing in your church through Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, we want to, we want to uh, be reminded this morning that you alone are worthy of worship and praise. There is no one else. And also that you alone can bring satisfaction and rest to our hearts. Father, we, um, we pray that you would 
remind us again this morning that our hearts will always be restless until we rest in you. And Lord, we confess that there are so many other things that we look to to try to find fullness, but actually that comes only from you as you fill us by your spirit and bring us into true life through faith in Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would uh, bring us into reality with these uh, truths that we confess this morning, that you would be at work by your spirit, especially to open our eyes to see more of the love of Jesus, where we want to see more clearly how you've worked uh, for our good and for your glory in sending your son into the world to live and to die a, a death that was cursed, taking the wrath that was deserved by us, a death that was substitutionary, shedding his blood in our place and then to rise again. Lord, Lord, help us to see how you have expressed and shown your love for us in all that you've done for us in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would humble us. Would you help us to see that all of the other things that we would chase in life are not valuable compared to knowing Christ and being found in him? Lord, we pray that you would uh, cause us to be those who are content to trust in him and have a righteousness that's found in him, not one that comes from ourselves through obedience, but through faith in Christ. And Lord, would you remind us of what that righteousness purchases for us, fellowship with you, uh, the, the filling of your spirit, the opportunity to know you and walk in obedience to your word, to be transformed from the inside out collectively into the image of your son. Lord, we pray that you would continue that work in us. Would you make Grace Church of Orange a holy church, uh, marked by uh, people who've been transformed by the good news of grace, that we would be people who are devoted to you, devoted to your word, devoted to obeying you in the world, living lives that are set apart so that they would reflect your goodness and kindness. Father, would you continue to work among us in that way by your spirit? We want to lift up to you the city around us and the surrounding areas. Lord, we pray for lost people around us in the city of Orange. There are so many, and we pray that you would work to draw people out of darkness and bring them into light. We want to see people who don't know you come to hear the good news of Christ, understand the message of the gospel, and trust in him. Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom and faithfulness as a church to know how we could engage with the needs that are around us. Um, we also lift up other churches around us who we, who we love and partner with and are, are grateful for. Thank you for Mission Bible Church and the work that's going on there. And we pray that you would bless the, the brothers and sisters who are there and give them wisdom and faithfulness as well. Thank you for Kindred and uh, the friendship that we have with them. Thank you for Grace Rancho. And we pray for Michael and Eric out there and the work that you've given to them and to the other elders and to the congregation. And we pray that you would bless what they're doing in Rancho Cucamonga. We pray for uh, Brian Zuniga and Cherry Valley and for the elders there in the congregation. Lord, would you bless them and would you allow their, uh, their service to you to be um, fruitful and that they would be a light as well in their community. Father, we also want to pray for Fally and his family, uh, Fally Ravwangi, who was with us last week and now is back in Madagascar. We pray for him and Lily and the, the family that you've given to them, Lord, we pray that their home would be marked by uh, joy and, and, and love, uh, the deep imprint of your word. We pray for the ministry that you've entrusted to Fally and to the elders in the church there and the leaders of the seminary, and we pray that you would uh, enable them to be faithful and to conduct their lives in ministry in a way that would be honoring to you and that you would use it to raise up uh, especially men who would be faithful preachers of your word in the nation of Madagascar, that you would bring people there 
to come to bow the knee to Christ, to trust in him, to find life in him, just as we have. And we want to thank you for the partnership that we share with these brothers all the way across the world. Lord, we're, we're amazed and humbled that you would uh, look on us with grace, that apart from any good in us, you would uh, choose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, those of us who know him, and that you would uh, draw us to yourself and you would give us the grace of having fellowship in your church here. Lord, we pray that you would work uh, to exalt Jesus among us and that he would receive all glory here today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my song. Thy free grace alone from the first to the last hath won my affection and bound my soul back. Without thy sweet mercy, I could not live Sin would reduce me to utter despair. But through thy free goodness, my spirit's revived. And he that first made me still keeps me alive. Thy mercy is more than a match for my Father God, we thank you that we can sing songs that are true, sing them to ourselves, sing them to each other, and God, ultimately sing them to you. It's because of your mercy that we come this morning, not in, in fear and trembling before you, God, but boldly coming before the Holy One, knowing that your mercy has been given to us through Christ and his work on the cross. We thank you for this morning. We ask that we would see you and know you and love you more clearly this morning. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
How many times have you heard your kids ask, but why? Tell them to do something. How many times do they say, wait, wait, there's a better way. Why are you asking me to do this? And you might have even asked the same question. Maybe your boss says to you, hey, I need you to do this. And you're like, I think it should be done in a different way. You know, why are you asking me to do this? Your coach, maybe you're on a team and your coach says, um, we're going to do this in practice. We're going to do that in practice. And you're like, but why? You know, we don't need to do that. Well, in Ephesians, we are given a very generous reason, an overwhelming reason why we should, in all humility, with all gentleness and with all patience, forbear with one another in love and maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. God tells us why, and there's a, there's a constant plea, an exhortation, really a focus to say, you know, Christian, you need to live the unity that you've been given. But what happens? We start asking why, and we get hung up on our own mind and our own thoughts and how we feel and making judgments, and we get really far off from reality and not so much preserving the unity as poisoning it. This overwhelming reason for unity that we see in Ephesians chapter 4 is tied to the idea that we see in the verses now before us how God has brought about the oneness of the church, the unity of the church, that we are one body. Now, if you, this is your first time at Grace, you're like, why, how did we land right here? Why are we here right now? It was because we've gone through every verse in Ephesians so far, and this is where we're at. And we have gone through Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. It shows the glorious grace of God in electing and predestining and adopting and sealing and giving an inheritance to those he saves, making the dead live, putting them into his church. And then you get to chapter 4, you get to the first three verses, and what you see is the church doesn't generate its own unity. It must be diligent to preserve the Spirit's gift of unity. So with all the things that could corrupt Spirit-given oneness, the, the church, Christians, believers, ought to be always thinking unified and pursuing unity. If I'm a member of Christ's body, if I'm a member of the church, uh, we saw this a, a few weeks ago, the strength we need in Christ comes from God the Spirit, not the flesh, comes from the Word of God, not our minds, comes in Christ's church, not alone. And this is about unity, and so we see these three verses, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, it's about the oneness, it's about the unity of Christ's church. And there's a series of seven short statements, and they begin with the number one. You know, some people are like, we're number one, we're number one. Well, this is seven statements beginning with the number one, seven things that the Spirit does to hold the church together and to keep his church together. And it was read before, but verse four says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here, Paul is using the word one seven times in a row. It's kind of a big deal. He's really driving it home. He's hammering the nail in. He's, he's repeating the word one because what he is doing is establishing 
the principle of the essential unity of the church. And he doesn't want it to be missed. So one here occurs seven times. Now you don't want to overstress this idea of seven, but that's the number of divinity. That's the number of God. That's a perfection. That's the, it's safe to say that the unity of the church expresses God's perfection. And it's grouped in an interesting way. If you, if you think about it, there are three things said in verse 4. There are three things said in verse 5. And there is one thing in verse 6. And the last one being said, it's a summary of one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And this heavy emphasis on unity. But each one of the three groupings is arranged around one of the members of the Trinity, of the triune God. The first three belong to the Holy Spirit. The, the second three belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the seventh, God the Father himself. You could call this a Trinitarian burst of seven. It's the theological basis for the practical admonitions to unity that we saw in verses 1, 2, and 3 but also the emphasis on unity that we're going to see in verses 7 to 16. And he keeps repeating this idea of oneness to show how important unity is. Seven times in a row. Why we pursue it so intensely. And we're going to take these one by one. But what they comprise is really one clear statement of why the church is oneness, why the church's unity, why the, the, how unified the church already is because God made it that way, why that unity must be lived, and why Christians shouldn't spoil it or poison it or break it, as we are so often tempted to do. So what we're going to do today is look at the nature of this one body, and then we're going to ask three questions that we really have to ask ourselves related to this one body, that believers should live unified as part of the one body of Christ. There is one body. But let's look first at the nature. You've got to understand, what are we talking about? What are we talking about here? Are we talking about Grace Church of Orange? Are we saying that we are the one body of Christ? Or are, are we saying, hey, there's another one. You should probably get up right now and go to it because we're not the one body. What are we talking about here? What Paul is talking about here is he's referring to the entire universal body of Christ, comprised of every believer. So when he says in verse 4, there is one body, and then he says, and one spirit, he's going from exhorting to giving the reasons, the truths that support the call to unity. He's hitting two birds with one stone here and explaining what it means uh, by the unity of the spirit. He's using a metaphor. He's using a metaphor, and he's saying the church is united as the one body of Christ. Now, he said something similar in chapter 2, and even in chapter 1, and then in chapter 4 here, and again in chapter 4, and then in chapter 5. A lot of metaphors that are used for the church, even in Ephesians. In chapter 2, the church is spoken of as a kingdom and as a family as a temple. Um, in chapter 5, the church is spoken of as a bride. But body, far and away, far and away, Paul's favorite metaphor for the church. 
body. Hands down, okay, the favorite metaphor of Paul for the church. And he's, he's bringing out the essential unity, the organic unity, if you will, among believers in the church to Christ and to one another. He's using a terminology that was very elaborate in its metaphor that had roots in the medical language of the day. He's talking about a human body. He's talking about now a spiritual body. He's using the example of a human body and saying, this is what God has created in the new creation, this one spiritual body. Now, he affirmed it in chapter 2, verse 16, when he said that God reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body to God through the cross. The cross is crucial, and the metaphor of the church is the body of Christ is essential. One body, it's the universal church, consists of real Christians, real believers, chosen by God, put into that body that Christ reconciled his chosen ones to himself. Therefore, believers are said to be reconciled to God. And this word that's used of that, reconciliation, it was widely used in in the Greek culture of that day to describe restoring a relationship that had been fractured, that had been broken, literally hurt, ruptured. I mean, God brought about a close relationship with himself and between two former enemy parties, Jew and Gentile, and he did it by reconciling. Romans 5 talks about this. That the reconciliation came about because God satisfied his own wrath against his enemies. He turned them into his friends, as Jesus put it in John 15. And think about it. The cross is central. Christ's enemies used the cross to murder him. God used the cross to appease his wrath against those he set his eternal electing love upon. And in the new creation, Christ destroyed the the enemyhood, if you will, between God and his rebellious creatures. So anyone who comes to faith in Christ, I once was lost. Was lost in the darkest night. I was running headlong for hell, and God, God arrested my soul. And I've been reconciled to him. But here in the cross, too, it says that he reconciled both Jew and Gentile to each other. And, And he's talking about the church. He is talking about a unified body, the one body. So it is no surprise that when he confesses the truth of it, he says, there is one body. There's not two. There's not thousands. There is one. You do the math. (laughs) There is one. And he has joined this one body into an entirely new entity, the church, or the new man, as Ephesians 2.15 says, and it's Jew and Gentile in one body. We're sitting here today at Grace Church of Orange, or you're watching online, and you're watching Grace Church of Orange in Orange, California, and, and you have to think far, far bigger than one place. You have to think of the church that exists in every place. The one body is the church. 
And, and think about it. He brought into this one body Jew and Gentile. There, there were no bigger differences than the religious and cultural differences between Jew and Gentile in the first century. And the Spirit brings unity out of those differences. He makes them into one, the one body, the church. As Romans 12 says, in one body you have many members. Speaking of a human body, and the members don't have the same function, though we being many, and now he's using the example of the church, we are one body in Christ. And the body united, not dismembered, not cut off. You know, I bought a cow recently. Now all of you are waking up. You're like, oh, Mike bought a cow. What's its name? Well, we bought a cow that arrived at our house in parts. And now it's in the freezer. I don't know its name. Delicious? I'm going to call it Delicious. Every time I eat a part, I'm going to say, wow, delicious. But the body of Christ is not that way. You don't just have to have a bunch of parts that are all independent contractors. And there's a lot of biblical real estate that is given to the doctrine of the church. And it's the theme of the epistles. And is dealt consistently with. That in the New Testament, always speaking of the church, always concerned even with the difficulties, with the divisions with the problems even in lives of church members and how peace can be spoiled. We all know it. And if you don't understand the doctrine in the New Testament of the church, you're not going to take it in the right way. You're going to think you can come and go as you please, do whatever you want, be an independent contractor, hop from here to there with no accountability. If you don't understand the New Testament doctrine of the church, you won't take it in the right way. A lot of us, we're just so fixated on ourselves, and many of our problems start with us because we start with ourselves. We know we do it. And sin puts ourself at the center. Sin makes you feel more important than everyone else, and whatever you feel or whatever happens to you, and you spend all your time thinking about you and your interests. I mean, think of your social media posting. How many times do you say, I want to tell you about a good friend of mine who's so amazing. Let me introduce you to my friend. I only know of one person that's ever done that. The guy that was leading worship this morning, Matthew Ma. He literally, he went through a, a period of time where he literally pointed someone out. And he said, I'm going to tell you about this person. It was wonderful. It was edifying. It was, it was encouraging. I was like number 53 on the list. I was so excited. <laughs> I think I was higher than that, but I was not number one. <laughs> vital principle of the oneness of the church, the body, the one body. You grasp that, that if you're a believer today, you're in that one body, it, it, it literally airlifts you out of self-centeredness. It literally rescues you from yourself. It gives you an accurate picture of the church, not of yourself as this separate entity, you know, a frozen ribeye or something, but a member of a body. When you see things that way, you get delivered out of the, the misery. And we all know it's misery to be self-centered. And the cure for many of our problems is you stop looking at yourself and remember Jesus Christ. It delivers you from the trials and the troubles you bring upon yourself. that your mind has imagined even. 
with regard to the question of why. Why one body? Why this unity? Why we should keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Is that optional for me? Can I be in a church and can I just maybe not keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Can I just be a troublemaker? Well, that unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace was bought by blood. Formed by the decree of God. And think about it. If you're a Christian today, your previous condition before Christ opened your heart to the gospel and and drew you to himself before he regenerated you, before you came to faith in Christ, you had no hope. You were without God in the world. You were powerless under Satan's dominion. You were fallen in your flesh. Your mind ruled. You were under the wrath of God. You were separated. And God rescued you. By By the blood shed on the cross, making you part of his people, reconciling you to himself. That you would have the same hope that Abraham had, who believed God that could call things into existence that didn't exist. He'd call, call out of nothing and create a people for himself. Even Abraham, who trusted the good news of justification by faith, he believed God. It was reckoned him as righteousness. That God reconciles people to himself as they trust in something they cannot see. We have a conviction that one day you will see what you cannot see. That what you see with only the eyes of your heart right now will be concrete. You will experience it all the time. You will see Jesus face to face. That you will experience in the fullest sense the surpassing wealth of his grace in kindness towards you. And so the three questions I'm about to ask you are of utmost importance to you and to me and this one body, the church. It's going to identify who truly belongs. It's going to get us focused on what we must focus on. You can call it a midterm correction. Don't want to trigger anybody if you're in school. I mean, midterms and what have you, but you may need to address some of your patterns. May may need to adjust some of your thoughts and actions back in line with God's design. To know you can't float without a local church you're known by who knows your testimony and agrees that you're a believer and a baptized member of the church. You need to see these three questions and ask yourself these three questions as it relates to this one body, the universal church that's comprised of real believers. And the first question you have to ask is, am I a part of this one body? It's probably the most important question that you could ask yourself. Am I a part of this one body? Not Grace Church of Orange. I mean, the one body that that consists of all real believers. The apostle isn't thinking about individual local assemblies here. He's not thinking of local churches in the visible church. He's thinking of the universal, invisible body of Christ. There's only one true church. The one body, not many, one body of Christ, only one. And that body gathers in local assemblies that ought to be unified. It's a necessary thing. You can't can't be everywhere at one time. You're not God. 
You, you are where you are. You live where you live. And the universal body, invisible body of Christ, comprised of all true believers, must find a visible manifestation nearby where they live. But how do you know if you are truly a part of that one invisible body? John is instructive to us here. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And John is writing to believers. And John is, is, is assuring believers and challenging them. And he says this. He says, the testimony or the witness is this. Again, he's addressing real believers. And he says, God has given us eternal life. He didn't give everyone eternal life. He says he gave us eternal life, believers. And this life is in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, and it just clarifies things, kind of crystal clear. He who has the son has the life, this eternal life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. Now, some of you are doing the math in your head, and you're like, I have the Son. I have Jesus. The problem with that is just because you say it doesn't make it true. And what must matter to you is whether or not you belong to this one body. Because you can be a member of a visible church like Grace Church of Orange and not be a part of the unseen church. Yes, people slip through the cracks that aren't saved. By the way, seriously, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not calling anyone into question. I'm just saying that if I took a list of all the, the members, people that have joined Grace Church of Orange and went down the list, and let's just say God showed up in the flesh, and, and Jesus walked down the aisle and looked at the list. We'll put it right there on the wall. And then he went up, and he, and he, he took a red marker. You know what red markers are for. You don't want your name crossed out with a red marker, do you? I'm looking at you right there. Yeah. My buddy. And I'm going, okay. And Jesus starts crossing names out. And maybe there's five. Maybe there's 55. Only God knows. What must matter to you is whether or not you belong to this body. And you can be a member of, of a visible local church and not be part of the unseen church. By the way, saddest situation ever, if you think about it. Like, why are you here? <laughs> well, I know why you're here today. If that's you today, it's so you can get saved. And part of your testimony would be, you know, been a member of this church for a long time, and I didn't realize. I've been hearing Mike hammer this stuff every single week. God opened my heart to the truth of the gospel on January 21st. 2024. I'm praising him and I'm repenting of my sins. Do you belong to the one body? You are made a member of that one body. You don't make yourself a member. That's the thing. So you come to Grace Church of Orange and go, hey, I want to be a member. And in one sense, you know, the elders make you a member, but you, in one sense, you make yourself a member. You're like, I want to be a member. You get a little, you know, membership card, okay? By the way, in the, in the New Testament, when it's members, the Greek word melos, it means body parts. It doesn't mean members of club, okay? Now, you don't make yourself a member of the one body. You can make yourself a member of Grace Church of Orange. Here's what happens. Here's how you become a part of the one body. 
And we've gone over it over and over again, but I think, it's, I think repeat is wonderful, okay? God gives life to the dead, those dead in sin, those lost in sin, regenerates, gives new life so that you willingly receive the Lord. You believe in the Lord Jesus and are saved. And if that wasn't the order of your conversion to Christ, you might think you made yourself a Christian. God gives life to the dead, regenerates you, so you willingly receive the Lord. You hear the gospel, and you believe and are saved. You, you, you know you're saved by grace alone through faith, and not of your own works. There's no boasting. And by the way, membership in a, in a visible local church can be as useless as a piece of paper that burns. main thing that matters is that you are found in this invisible church, the one body of Christ. That's the deal here. I think of a country for a moment, divided into states and cities and towns. It's called one country, has one leader. Please do not just go with, okay, don't get all weird with me, Americans. Okay, anyone who's not an American is like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. Americans are like, oh, ha, ha, ha. No, they, they, there's one country, one leader, one law. Just let it go. It's an, it's an example. Likewise, the church is one because it lives by the one spirit, ruled by the one Lord, professing the one faith, having the one hope, baptized with the one baptism. And in that church, there are, in, in, there are unholy members in local churches. But the church is holy and set apart to God in, in these local assemblies, like Grace Church of Orange. We're called a church, but we've we got a mixed group of elect and reprobate, Believers and unbelievers, wheat and weeds, sheep and wolves. And it's called God's church for the elect's sake. Think of it this way. you got a garden in your yard. You call it a garden, but it might have some weeds. You don't call it a field of weeds. You call it your garden, your beloved garden. And while the visible church may have some unbelievers in it, the invisible church is made up of believers. And by the way, this is why it's so absolutely ridiculous and ludicrous. It makes no sense for someone who comes to faith in Christ and is truly a part of the one church to not be a part of a local assembly of church, in a church. Like, if you stay separate, if you stay aloof, you're like, I can do the Christian life all by myself. You have completely misunderstood the one body. You're denying God's design. Well, what if a married couple goes up to the altar, they have their wedding, and then they say, by the way, an announcement. We love each other immensely. This is the best. We'll be living at two different addresses. It's crazy. Or like parents, they, they bring a baby home from the hospital to another house. And they say, well, we're just going to you know, give them to somebody else. Love this baby so much. Or you have a business that all the employees don't work together towards a common goal. Fractured. Or athletic team not working together. Teammates tackling each other off the sidelines. Recipe for disaster. If you belong to the one body, here's what's going to happen. You move to a new city. Not from Tustin to Orange. I'm not talking about, you know, move around locally as much as you want, all right? Have a great time. Um, if you belong to the one body and you move out of the area, you will run to a local body in your new city. 
Your first concern will not be, and by the way, I hear this all the time, where are the good coffee shops? Where's the restaurant? Where's the plumber? Where's the auto body? No, your first question will be, what church? We've got people moving. Their first question, I love it. I love it. Help us find a good church, not help us find a good Indian food restaurant. I love my Indian food, I'm telling you. You belong to the one body, you're going to run to a local body every time you move to a new city. Your first concern will be that. And if you're a member of the one body, you should link up. Here's why you're running to that, because you want to identify as a member of the one body. You want to identify as a member of the one body by becoming a member of a local church. There's no reason in the world why any committed believer connected to the head, Jesus Christ, part of the one body, should refuse to become a member of a real local church. What's a real local church? It's a church led by a plurality of elders that preaches the word, that administers the ordinances, and does church discipline. Grace Church of Orange should see this huge influx of, of members joining the church because it's biblical. If you're a member of the worldwide body of Christ, a body part, not a member of a club, you should let us hear your testimony and baptize you and welcome you into fellowship and work together with you to do God's will in this community as God intends. Coming from somewhere else, you're already baptized, we're not going to make you get rebaptized and all of that. Any local church, in every local church, here's what's going to happen. It's like the names, you know, crossed out on the list. There's going to be believers and unbelievers side by side. Some easy to tell. Some unbelievers say, hey, by the way, I'm not a, I'm not a believer, and I'm having this, you know, crisis of belief, and, I, and I'm trying to figure it out and work with that. But some are like, not even knowing they're not saved. Tough to read. Wheat or weeds, real or false. Now, let's say you're sitting here, and you're like, oh, man, I'm in picture. Can I get out of here, right? Can I just leave right now? Can I slip out the door? No, I'm going to know it's you. I'm going to chase you down. No, seriously. What if you go, out? What, what am I doing? Well, look, if you're not a believer and you know it, I'm really, really glad you're here. And we care about you and we want you to, to, your soul to be saved. Um, it's possible to not be known by Christ. That's actually more important than knowing Christ is that he knows you. Remember what he's, he will say one day, I never knew you, depart from me. Well, but I did this, 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 and this. He's going to like, I never knew you, depart from me. If you're never known by Christ, but you joined a church, just make it right. Come talk to me later. I won't go, I'm not telling everybody next week. Unless you want to come up and give a testimony. But I won't throw you under the bus. But you should tell people. What, why, why would somebody not want to give their testimony of faith in Christ and being in the real one church that exists? You need, well, here's what the elders need to do is make sure that ensure as much as we can humanly possible whoever is brought into membership is a true believer that's obeying God. You, they have a love for Jesus. They have a love for the church. There's a pattern of, of faithfulness in their life. And, and we might get it wrong. But God knows. Praise God. God knows. God knows who belongs to him. 2 Timothy 2, 19. The Lord knows those who are his. And therefore, let everyone who names the name of the Lord, who says, I'm a Christian, abstain from wickedness. Are you part of this one body? Not this church. The one universal body of Christ. Second question. Do I love this body? Not, not this church. We're not getting there yet. 
Do you love the body of Christ? Could you wake up in the morning as a believer and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for everyone you have saved, and I love every one of them. Now, I'm going to go meet with the ones I know, and when I get with them face to face, please help me love them because some of them really bug me. Are you in love with that one body? You know, Paul prayed in in chapter 3 of this letter that they would know the love of Christ. And that we're told in chapter 4, bear with one another in love. And I love the last verse of Ephesians. It's Ephesians 6.24. It's become one of my favorite verses. Some of you might know this, but I've been listening for now, as long as I preach through Ephesians, which, by the way, we're probably going to be in Ephesians 4 for a year. So, you know, welcome to Grace Church. We're the Ephesians 4 Church. Uh, and I've been listening to it now for about a year. And, and I, I always get to the last verse. And I love it. It says, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. I love that. A love incorruptible. And it's not because my love for Jesus is incorruptible. It's because his love for me is. It's because his love for me is perfect. And I love him because he first loved me. Love's motive. You love the Lord. You love his church. The the motive is gratitude for Christ's sacrificial love that you have received by grace through faith. He's extended mercy towards you. He held back the wrath of God against your sins and offered you eternal life. And you know when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, it's like people who don't even know the Bible know 1 Corinthians 13. They've heard it at all these weddings and stuff. And 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. And it's really interesting. Like, wow, why is that there? Well, it's because they weren't loving. So they had to be taught about love. The church wasn't loving. Corinth was like, messed up they had its problems its divisions its groups its splinter groups and they were getting corrected over and over again you got the gifts of the spirit wrong you got leadership wrong now you got love wrong first corinthians 13 love is patient and kind it's not envy or boast it doesn't take into account a wrong suffered or received it bears all things endures all things but they were being corrected because there were troubles already there were there were fissures, there were, there, were, there were cracks in the foundation already because people did not understand the nature of the church. And the troubles sprouted out like poisonous weeds from that failure. And even the Ephesian church, it was later rebuked by the Lord Jesus himself in, a, in, in Revelation 2.4. Jesus says, despite your theological strength, I have this against you. You abandoned the love you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. You gotta love this one church that you are in, believer. You know, it's interesting. We're living in a time, and I think it's been like this probably since the beginning of time, but we as humans worship bodies. We are fixated on shapes and looks. Even, even in, in 1 Samuel, it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But we go to gyms with mirrors so we can look at ourselves. We love mirrors. In, unless you don't. Some of you don't. I know you don't. 
you don't love mirrors. I, I, I personally, the mirror is not my favorite household implement. But why do we do this? We think of ourselves as individuals. We think of ourselves as people that need to be seen and, 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 and separate from people. And, and we can't grasp the idea of this one united body that mirrors Christ. Will you grasp the doctrine of unity, though? You see the importance in your daily life, and the moment you see it, you cannot unsee it. You know how you see things and you can't unsee? Well, the moment you get this, you can't unget it. You get airlifted, really, out of that petty, selfish, self-centered, mirror-looking, miserable kind of life. Because you know something. You know you must stand face-to-face one day with the triune God. And this one body is a reflection of the triune God of the glory of God. And, and there's, no, there's no better way. If you ask, well, why? Why do I need to be kind and patient and good to one another in the church? Well, there's no other better way to, to handle the doctrine of the church's unity. You're called to it. You have to see the reason why. Because we are a reflection on earth of the, of the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Because the image of God is restored in a new creation. You need to know Why? And here we're told why. The unity is already there. We saw it in verse 3. The unity is already there. Preserve it. Maintain it. Work hard to not fracture it. It's like being really careful when you're carrying a piece of glass. You don't want to shatter it. Or you're carrying a bunch of dishes in your hands. You don't want to drop and, and break them. The church is one body. It's important. It's essential. It's the new creation. God brought her into being entirely new like the creation of the world you see god didn't say hey jews hey gentiles okay here's the deal just act like you're getting along act like you're, you're going to be all right until we leave because i, I got to get some photos i got to get a, a photo op he didn't tell jews and gentiles hey everybody get along even though you're going to be really separate now there were problems in the early church because people latched on to those sinful ideas and, and, but they didn't realize. They're the new creation. They're not a collection of parts. The old was done away. No longer Jew and Gentile. In God's economy, the distinction is gone in the one body. One thing torn down, another built up. Delivered from the things that separated us before God created us into the one new body. So you have these unseen, invisible church that exists and God knows those who are his. And you know what the, the, the mind-blowing thing is? When you think about being in that one church, you are in the same church that Paul is in. You know, sometimes people like to say, hey, I go to this one church with a bunch of famous people in it, or I, this one famous person comes to our church, you know. That's rubbish, whatever. We're in the same body Paul is in. The same body the early Christians are in. And the saints in the Middle Ages and the heroes and the martyrs of the Reformation and the, and the, and, and the Puritans and the church throughout the centuries were all in the same one body. You take the analogy of the body. Ten fingers, on average, right? Ten fingers, ten toes, two hands, two feet, two legs, two arms, so on. But the body's not a collection of parts None were created independent and separate. That's not how the body of Christ develops or comes into being. Just like a human body doesn't come like that. The body of Christ is not like 
assembling a Mr. Potato Head or, you know, being Sid and just coming up with something weird. It's wor- you're not working with Legos, okay? You're just, the one, one cell gives rise to an entire body in the human structure. One cell begins to develop, then grows soon an arm, a, a hand, a foot. Uh, it comes from one cell. And the parts aren't independent in their existence. They grow out of the one cell. Well, that illustrates what's true of the one church. So your name on a membership roll up on a wall doesn't mean you were added into the one body of Christ. The true church is a new creation born of the Spirit. You're partakers of the divine nature. You're unified. You're born again by the Spirit. There's diversity and unity. You have different gifts, but you work together to fulfill Christ's mission. One goal, glorify God, build the body, go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. You got to understand the doctrine of the church. Metaphor of one body, members of the body of Christ, union with Christ, relationship to Christ. There's a head, there's many members. The greatest privilege in the world to be a part of this one body. You know how the psalmist in Psalm 84 said, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God than dwell in tents of wickedness? What's well, much more than that? The New Testament blessing in the gospel goes far beyond that. In Christ, you belong to him. And you're in the one body, in a local body, in endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And you meet other Christians, you're one together in Christ. And you have to love the ones right in front of you. How does love for the body show? Well, you practice the one another's. You love one another. You bear with one another. You show mercy to one another. You forgive one another. The universal church gathers in local churches, geographically close. If you're virtual church, if you're online with us even, you're only getting apart, right? That doesn't mean that that's bad for you. What it means is we need to visit you. The church needs to visit those who can't get out of bed and must watch the service online because they, they can't walk or they, or they can't get out of their home. Because the church needs to be face-to-face. The church needs to be having body life. If you can't get out of your bed and you're, you're watching online, we need to visit you. As long as you're not too far away. We have to fly to you, it'll be too far. Last question. Am I helping or hindering this body, this one body? Am I helping or hindering? Am I in it? Do I love it? And the third question, am I helping or hindering this one body? You know, some of you are like, I'm not feeling the love. Well, look, in Ephesians 4, it says in verse 16, it says, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, Christ makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. And even that, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, the, you know, mutual interdependence of the body parts. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. No, they should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, everyone rejoices. Think about it. If your back hurts, everything hurts. Your little pinky, the end of your little pinky hurts, everything hurts. But when things are going well, everything is good. This is a great argument for preserving the unity. We are a body. And we suffer division at great loss, great personal loss, great corporate loss. Do not let it happen. The body works together. The unity is organic. 
It's not achieved by taking a bunch of parts and just smashing them together or mashing it up. We're not a machine. We're a living organism. The church isn't a diesel engine. It's not a watch. It's not an airplane. It is a body that grows by the multiplication of cells. Think about it. Some of you are battling painful health issues. Some of you painfully battle autoimmune disorder, where your immune system begins to attack your body. But we must, in the body, the one body, must help not hinder the church. The body of Christ should not become infected and start attacking itself. So you can't allow personality conflicts or disputes over non-essentials just shatter the bond of peace. And you can't say, well, peace, peace, but there really isn't peace. Are you helping or hindering? What, what if you realize today that you're, you're hindering the body? What do you do? What do you do if you're hindering the body? We've got to repent as you're ruled by truth. Like, unity is important, but not at the expense of truth, not at any cost. Unity in truth. It, the exhortation is followed by a confession of faith. The unity is rooted in commitment to the fundamentals. You must believe, you know, the authority of the word and Christ's deity and the virgin birth and the blood atonement and justification by faith and the bodily resurrection and the actual return of Christ to have biblical unity. And, and think about it this way. The unity that, that, that God puts into his one body, it doesn't happen in the world. What, what does God do? He changes hearts. He, he literally gives you a love for him and his body, the, the, the church. And you, what you need to do in response, be ruled by truth, repent and be ruled by truth, and then generously help. Like just go look for someone to help. Let, let the love ex- be expressed and, and be known. Let, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. You have to demonstrate it. Like praying for each other is of great help. I've got pastor friends around the world, and we're praying for each other every week. But you know what's even sweeter and what's even better? Is when church members in this local assembly, when we pray for each other, we actively look for and you're energetic about, you know, getting up and just going and helping someone. It's like the person who gets up and just does the dishes or takes out the trash. I'm trying to be more of that kind of person at my house even. But in the church, like, I want to help. I'm just going to go do it. I'm going to go help. I want to desire that and I want to do it. I don't want to self-seek. I don't want to seek my own glory. I want to seek the glory of God as I build up the body of Christ. I don't want to, you know, treat my relationships in the body of Christ like I do many earthly relationships. Think about it. Spouses fighting and carrying on division or siblings nursing rivalries and carrying on disunity for years. Don't bring that mindset into the church. That's evil. That's not full of mercy and good fruits, as James put it. It's of the devil. You call it out, you forsake it, you repent of it, you confess it. You know why? Because in Christ, if you're in the one church, you can change. You share a common existence with the church of Christ and, and you, you even in your struggling love you can make things right uh, because the head of the body rules the body, not your mind. We're speaking the truth in love. Grow up into him who is the head, even Christ. You see, we're led by the head. We're led by Christ. The Christ empowers every member to contribute to the overall building up of the entire body and the effects are most often seen closest to home with those you know, not with total strangers. And you're not an independent contractor. You're a body part dependent on being directed by the head. This is how God has brought about the oneness of God's 
Christ's church, we are one body. We grow into Christ who is the head, who makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is why you have to ask yourself these questions. Am I a part of that one body? Do I love this one body? Am I helping this one body or am I hindering it? And these are ongoing questions, not a one-time check off the, off the list. Uh, Jesus, the head of the body, preserves and, and faithfully keeps and leads his one body. And we're to be directed by the mind of Christ, the word of God. God spoke the scriptures. It teaches it to the church. His authority overrides our ideas. And this is why the church will survive and thrive. Because its head will never be severed from it. He loved his bride so much that he died for her to create the one body that he will redeem and bring to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the reason why. And Lord, thank you that even now in all humility and gentleness and patience, we could forbear with one another in love. We can do that to be urgent, to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Lord, I pray you would help us. Lord, help us who belong to your one body, your church, to live worthy of our calling and even to call unbelievers to believe in and surrender to you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join in singing as we close?
So before we go, just a few quick announcements. Uh, the members have affirmed some new deacons, and the elders will be praying for them next Sunday morning. Next Sunday, we have a big deal going on, something I've never been a part of, and it's a, 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 um, a retirement celebration for Patty Morris, who served for 40 years on the mission field in France, and it's going to be a big deal, 1230 next week, to celebrate and, and be thankful for what God did over those 40 years of service and you need to uh, sign up for that. So please make sure you do. Uh, go with great update. You no go with grace. You notice there's the, uh, the fence out there. Uh, the bulldozers came in this week. Uh, the big playground's getting uh, moved very soon. But one thing I want to tell you, though, is that they had to put a big perimeter around where the building's going to go. We're, getting, we're having more grass than what that looks like. That's not the outline of the new building, okay? So just know there's a lot of grass for the kids to play on. All right. Um, Let's finish uh, with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, the kindness that you have given us in coming and letting us... Um, pray and sing and hear your word. Now as we go, may we go in your strength and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sovereign in the